Our second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 21. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible translation. Together, let us listen for the Word of God. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him, My daughter is about to die. Please come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, Don't you see the crowd pressing in against you? Yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. While Jesus was still speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house, saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard their report and said to the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid, just keep trusting. He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the synagogue leader's house and he saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, What's all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead, she's only sleeping. They laughed at him, but he threw them all out. Then taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, he went to the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means young woman, get up. Suddenly the young woman got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They were shocked. He gave them strict orders that no one should know what had happened. Then he told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everything was whirling. Lots of moving parts to keep track of when my friends, three brothers, and their family piled into the station wagon to head to Florida for vacation. My friend Will recalls, I had called Roll. 
because we started doing that in school. And there was no Sam. And mom and dad thought it was a game. We were getting in and out of the car repeatedly, and Sam had gotten out again. They kept playing along, saying sing-songy, where's Sam? Where's Sam? The CB craze was new. This was maybe the spring or summer of 1975. And he said, Dad got one for the long car trip for us to listen to. He also adds there was an eight-track track player in the dash. But the CB could only receive. Sam was being treated by the staff and customers of the truck stop. And he told them that we had a CB. Mom and Dad heard the call for the parents who left their kid at Old Taylor's Country Kitchen. And we were miles away. And they had to turn around at the next exit. They returned to find Sam eating ice cream with the locals. Will says, I assume those locals were a little judgmental about my parents' parenting skills. But it all seemed to work out. I can report it did all seem to work out in the end. And all's well that ends well, I suppose. But before it all worked out, there was the voice of a lone four-year-old who had looked around and noticed that something was amiss. The scene described in our passage from Mark this morning is chaotic as well. Crowds press in around Jesus as they do most of the time at this point in the narrative. And after a brief stay on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and the disciples travel back and are met by yet another throng of people. Of course they are. Word has spread about this charismatic rabbi, one who preaches and challenges and welcomes unlike anyone they have ever encountered before, and he heals. This man Jesus has a way about him, a way of restoring people to life when all hope is lost. Who wouldn't want to get close to that or to him? In this whirlwind of a text, initially we meet Jairus. Mark tells us that he is the leader of the synagogue, meaning that he has power and wealth and influence, and yet his daughter lies near death, and he is heartbroken. On his own, there is nothing he can do to save her. So this pillar of the community falls at Jesus' feet in full sight of everyone and begs Jesus to help him, to help her. Jesus takes notice, as does everyone else, I imagine, when a man of wealth and power begs at the feet of an itinerant preacher. People tend to pay attention. Jesus honors Jairus' plea and heads to his house, and the crowd, which seems to be maybe just in my own imagination, but seems to be growing exponentially in front of our eyes, heads that way too. Mark then shifts our attention to another figure in the scene. A woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. She is spent and has spent every last dime on treatments for her illness. And not only have these treatments not worked, they have also left her penniless and sicker than she was when the whole nightmare began. Unlike Jairus, we have no reason to suspect that she is more than another face in the crowd one of the many who is pressing in to catch the slightest glimpse of Jesus. 
And really all she wants is to touch the hem of his robe. She is convinced that even that will be enough to bring her the healing she so desires. Some have sung the woman's praises for her assertiveness and her determination to seek Jesus out, push her way through, and reach for the healing she has longed for. They make the point that she does not let the crowd shift her from her goal, and I think they're right. I also think we are seeing one who has been overlooked, passed over, and forgotten for over a decade. No one seems to be advocating for her or championing her cause. She is desperate to be made whole. At this point, what does this wiped and wiped out unnamed woman have to lose? And if she just touches the hem of his robe, who will notice? Who will care? I'm always swept up by the action in this passage when it comes around the crowds, the sounds, the movement, the interruptions, the excitement combined to create a vivid and dramatic scene. And that's all here, of course, but this time I noticed something more, an almost throwaway phrase that made me catch my breath. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd pressing against you, yet you asked who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. In the thick of the throng, Jesus stops and looks and notices this one whom the rest of the world is tossed aside, overlooked, written off, and forgotten. One of the most heartbreaking comments I've heard someone utter during the past year and a half is, the church has forgotten me. I know there are those, especially those who have been living alone or homebound, who have felt the sting of isolation more strongly than those of us who've managed to land in a bubble with friends or loved ones over the past year or so. Sadly, that sting of feeling forgotten did not start in April of 2020 for far too many. Many people, wealthy and poor, gay and straight, white people and people of color, people who scrape by in cities and people who eke out a living in rural crossroads, people who live in grand gated estates and people who sleep in tents night after night, have felt forgotten, overlooked, left behind and even trampled by the throngs and also, sadly, by the church. At least I know I have been guilty of failing to stop and look around carefully and notice to see what and whom Jesus wants me to see. Writer Kate Linthicum recalls traveling with her friend Matt Ike through rural Ohio in the spring of 2009. In an article from about five years ago, she writes about driving with Matt down Route 13 through an area that had once been home to thriving lumber mills and mining towns. This same county is now one where one-third of the population lives below the poverty line. Matt befriended many of the people he photographed and became especially close with Jesse and Tracy Sellers and their children. The Sellers' twin daughters were flower girls in Matt's wedding. 
Matt not only photographed the community for his project, he got to know them. Kate writes he befriended young men whose idea of fun was to speed down dirt roads in pickup trucks while plowing through a 24-pack of Coors. He hung out in trailer parks and at Little League games, demolition derbies, and church gatherings. So Matt, as it turns out, is not a disengaged artist who views his subjects from afar and merely as props for his art. He is part of the family. Matt visits the Sellers family at least once a year now. But even after his family moved to Columbus and their lives improved, Jesse told Kate for this article, I feel forgotten. That's the power of Matt's project, the power of his witness. As Kate writes, Matt simply saw a group of people who felt like the world had forgotten them and hung around for years observing and listening to what they had to say. She says it was a very basic act, but also, in its way, a radical one. In other words, Matt looked carefully around, paid attention, built relationships, and made at least a few people feel less forgotten. It is so very simple and so incredibly radical. As I've said, there's a lot going on, and as I'm guessing you noticed, a lot going on in this text from Mark. Many people coming and going, countless needs swirling around. Jesus presses through the pressing-in crowd, throws out those who might only be interested in getting a front-row seat to a spectacle, and brings a young woman back from death. And yet his most radical act might just be the quietest one, the one we might miss in the chaos. This act is so very simple, so very radical, and so very crucial. And it is one that you and I can actually pull off ourselves. As Christ's body, as the church, we too are called to look around carefully, to notice who might not be in the station wagon with us, to pay attention to who is suffering on the sidelines or behind closed doors. This particular community has done that in many ways already, and I'm sure I will learn about more in the days ahead. You've built and stocked a blessing box. You're supporting siblings in Haiti. The list is faithful and long. And yet, if we look around carefully, we might still notice others who remain unseen, others who may still feel forgotten. And if you have ever felt forgotten by the church, by any church in any place at any time, I am sorry. Jesus sees you. Jesus has always seen you. Jesus is still looking around carefully for you. And by the grace of God, I promise to do my best to look around carefully for you too and see you like he does. Because I am convinced that Jesus wants all of us to pile in so that we can get where we're going together as the family of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.